Hey, what's up, Jordan? Episode 60 of the podcast. Can you believe that we've reached the big 6-0, man? This is crazy. I know. I, I guess I can kind of believe it. I am <laughs> uh, mildly impressed, though, that we've made it this far. Yeah. I mean, we did have 59 the last episode. And so, yeah, it was inevitable that we were going to get to 60. But still, it's kind of amazing when you think about it, because we're about almost exactly at the time of this recording, a year removed of the shutdown, the COVID shutdown of all sports, which basically also effectively shut down our ESPN Maui radio show and prompted us to try to get this thing rolling. And, uh, and yeah, so we're, we're almost at the calendar year anniversary of our show, not to mention uh, 60 episodes through. It's pretty crazy. Uh, what's also crazy is the weather outside. Uh, I'm in Honolulu, you're on Maui. And right now, I think Maui is kind of doing okay after some of that really horrific weather, especially in Haiku and the dam that was breached and all of the damage that occurred there. And obviously, Haleiwa on Oahu got uh, the brunt of it on Tuesday of this week. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, and I'm in town, and it's like lightning and thunder. And uh, so just want to send out a lot of prayers and aloha for the people who are dealing with the most severe aspects of this weather front and storm uh, because this is scary stuff, man, right outside our windows. Yeah, it, re it really is. And, and yeah, Maui, uh, a little better today on Wednesday. You know, the forecast has rain the rest of the week. It's, it's so funny. It's always the, you know, we, we spend a lot of time preparing for like hurricanes and th like big storms and things like that. But it's sort of the random winter storms that just leave a lot of rain, right? The ones that sort of come out of nowhere, like nobody's necessarily doing extra precautions for that kind of get us the worst man and, and i think this is one of those cases and, and just you know hoping that everybody stays okay throughout the rest of this the, the rest of the week as it keeps dumping let's get our podcast started with the the usual pre-game warm-up topic uh, we're going to go into the nba all-star game here uh, because the ratings were down a little bit for this thing there have been many people on social media and otherwise critical of this iteration of the event obviously preceding the playing of the nba all-star game you had a lot of players who were sharing some dissatisfaction with the idea of having to even do this thing amid the COVID pandemic and amid this season, with that, which had the short turnaround. Uh, so I want to ask you, though, you uh, saw the final product. I watched the final product. Thumbs up or thumbs down to this iteration of the NBA All-Star Game? I give it like a thumb sideways. <laughs> it was very okay, right? LeBron plays 13 minutes. Zion misses multiple dunks. Like, it, it, was, it was very okay. Like, it was fun. To watch Steph, uh, Steph Curry and, and Damian Lillard in the same backcourt just hoisting threes and hitting a lot of them. But, like, nobody plays defense. Nobody plays particularly hard. Giannis didn't miss a shot. That was a fun development. Uh, it was kind of fun to have all of the skills challenges on the same day. Usually a lot of people argue, right, the Saturday before the All-Star game is almost more fun because you got the three-point, the dunk and the skills challenge, which just keeps being won by big guys. DeMontis Sabonis wins again this year, but it's always like the power forward centers that seem to win these skills challenge. The dunk contest was a yawner at halftime. You know, it, it made halftime extra long, which was completely unnecessary. It was like, why do we need a half hour halftime in the NBA All-Star game? But I, I mean, you get to see the best players on the same court together, right? Playing together, being athletes, just kind of doing it, even if it is watered down, even if it is, you know, LeBron's barely out there. And for that reason, like the fans of the game, right? I think of the kids, like really, I mean, I think for, for kids, it's fun, right? To see Zion out there with guys like Giannis and running around and these freaks of nature and, and doing that thing. But, but overall, it was, eh. Was I better off for having watched it? No. Is it a waste of time? Maybe, but it's fun, right? And why not? 
my hot take opinion on this, I actually thought it was fine. Like, I actually liked the all-star <laughs> game in this form. I actually enjoyed having the three-point shootout in the slam dunk contest at halftime. Uh, Steph Curry didn't even move the net half of the times that he made threes. Like, it was one of the most mind-boggling things I've ever seen. That Simon's dunk kissing the rim, even though he didn't actually physically kiss the rim and was criticized by Kenny Smith and them about not physically actually making contact with his lips and the rim. I thought that was a pretty underrated dunk. I actually thought that was pretty good. And they said, like, if he had really literally kissed the rim, then it would have broke the internet. And I'm thinking, yeah, it would have probably also broke his nose. Like, that would have been something that would have happened. So let's uh, not, like, let ourselves get carried away here. Uh, it was fun. It was cool. I love the Elam ending. I love the scoring format that they have for this thing. Yeah, I didn't think it was a necessary event to hold in this particular year. But the NBA is not worried about ratings. They're not worried about all that stuff. They're just trying to get the inventory for TV contracts to be as fulfilled as possible. Like, that's what it's all about. They're not worried about how many people are watching at this moment. Like, people were just going crazy about the fact that the ratings were down, like, 20-some-odd percent. It was one of the lower-rated all-star games television-wise. It's like, the NBA doesn't care. They're just trying to fulfill these TV contracts, and then they'll worry about the ratings when they negotiate the next one. And so um, I just felt like, at least from the vantage point of the NBA and what they were trying to accomplish, you know, it was a success. You know, it was just like any other all-star game, right? It is what it is. It's not anything that's really going to rev your engine. It's not going to get the players to uh, ball out and, and put themselves at the, you know, 100% effort level. It's, it's an all-star game. And I actually thought that uh, under that expectation, it was just fine. That's my hot take was the all-star game was just fine. Uh, this is episode 60, as we mentioned, of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And our guests today, we're excited. We take this interview a few days ago. Colton Cowell of the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. Very, very stoked to have him. King K. Kaulike alum gifted another year because of the shutdown last year where Hawaii had national championship aspirations once again and looked as though they were poised to make a run. That last match that they played was in front of 10,000 people at the Stan Sheriff Center and a five-set dramatic victory over BYU. And so who knows what would have happened last year. Now this team has its sights set on finishing that business that went undone last year and Colton Cowles at the center of that. So looking forward to uh, playing that interview for everybody. Yeah, Colton's uh, one of the good guys. He has carved out quite a career for himself at the University of Hawaii, uh, kind of out of nowhere and, and turning himself into an All-American. Has played with some of the national teams, uh, the Pan Am games. Yeah, I remember him when he was just a, a young kid at Kinke Kalike, and he, he's a year younger than my brother, my little brother, Trent, and I remember them playing in high school. My brother was a pretty good high school volleyball player. He was like all-league here in uh, the Maui Interscholastic League, he didn't play in college or anything. But, you know, I remember them playing against Colton and, and being like, who is this kid? They got to be able to stop him. Like, come on, at least slow him down a little bit. Uh, I didn't know that we, we were watching a future All-American, and, and I probably should have, you know, maybe cut my brother guy some slack a little bit. Yeah, future All-American and future professional volleyball player is uh, what you guys <laughs> are watching at that time. But, yeah, we'll talk with him. It's really cool. He's kind of changed a few things here as far as his perspective and approach uh, to this season, wearing the number 24, uh, sort of in honor of the Mamba mentality. He explains that. So that's all coming up a little later on in the show. But let's get to our game time. And our first topic, it's March Madness, right? We're in the thick of things here. Conference tournament time, which also means that the University of Hawaii men's and women's basketball teams tipping it up in the Big West tourney this week in Las Vegas. Now, the UH men went 9-9 nine and nine in Big West conference play this year that's sort of been around where they've finished in the last several years 
And it prompted Ferd Lewis of the Honolulu Star Advertiser to pen a column that declared that it's time for Hawaii to rise above what he termed mediocrity. Talking about that relative 500 record year in and year out, at least since that first historic year under Ron Gannat, where he inherited a lot of the players that were uh, recruited by the previous regime, went on to win the first ever NCAA tournament game in program history against Cal, ended up losing to Maryland in the second round. But uh, that was a Big West championship season. And so since then, things have been a little bit more on par with the 500 level. In fact, in the Big West Conference Tournament, that year they went 3-0 and to win the title in the tourney. They've been 0-3 since that time under Aran Ganat. They're 42-40 and in Big West Conference regular season games since that first season under Aran Ganat. So how did this perspective from Ferd Lewis strike you and this inference that they have to somehow break out of this mediocrity this year in Vegas? Yeah, it struck me as fair. I, I think it's fair. The only part that I would say is a little tough is I, I just find for myself, it's hard to, to evaluate really in, in this COVID year, right? There are so many, so many variables. And you just think, right, as a, as a University of Hawaii basketball fan, if Drew Bugs doesn't transfer and if Samuta Avea doesn't opt out, this team's pretty good, man. Just watching how, how they've developed, right, and how the pieces have come together. Uh, but you think of those two guys, had they remained, right? And, and of course, Samuto, who, you know, was part of this program and decided to opt out before the season started, didn't necessarily leave the school or anything like that. Um, huge, huge asset to this group that we've seen beat, beat anybody in the conference and kind of lose to anybody in the conference. And, and that's sort of been the MO. And, and so maybe from that standpoint, right, it, it's been a lot more of the same in 2021 than we've seen you know, the last few years, right, as, as you pointed out, as, as our guy uh, Brian McInnes likes to point out, it, it sort of seems to be their destiny that they're going to finish right at 500 in a league that we, we know isn't necessarily one of the world beaters at the mid-major level. It was a step down for, for the University of Hawaii when they joined from the WAC um, in its iteration in the 2000s, and then obviously what it was in the 90s, uh, you know, for a program that was among the upper echelon. And so, you, you know, you could argue that this University of Hawaii basketball program their pedigree is better than anybody's in the conference that they currently exist in, all of the UC and the Cal State schools. And so they should be expected, I think, to be in the upper third every single year instead of kind of hanging out in the middle. And I, and I think internally, you know, Coach Gannat and, and his staff will tell you that, you know, they, they've left some meat on the bone, if you will, in, in certain years. And, and there's always extenuating circumstances. And I would say this year is kind of a wash to me, but you look at the previous four years, right, and it's sort of the same story. And so – you know, I would I would say wait and, and kind of look towards 2022 if they if they lose tomorrow in the Big West Conference quarterfinals. Is that the be all in? No, I don't think so. Um, but starting next season, I mean, or at least when things get back to normal, you, you would like to see some improvement to get out of sort of the middle class of the Big West. Again, a conference that that isn't necessarily full of powerhouse programs or anything like that. So, you know, there, there's always going to be reasons why a program doesn't quite meet that expectation. But but yeah, five, five years at 500 basically is going to be, um, you know, something that you're going to need to see some movement sooner rather than later. Yeah, this is year six in the Ranganat tenure. Obviously, 2015-2016 was year one with Stefan Yankovic and Aaron Valdez, Roderick Bobbitt. You know, that was just a, an all-time team. 
Uh, and, you know, to his good fortune, he inherited a lot of those players from the previous regime, but proved, I think, his coaching medal by being able to put those players in a position to succeed. And so I think we all concluded that, all right, Aranganat knows what he's doing. This coaching staff knows what they're doing when it comes to the X's and O's and the strategies of basketball. But I think the question remained, and we talked about it a bunch on our radio show, too, and a lot of callers uh, and listeners to our show also suggested that the question would be, all right, well, how is the recruiting side of things going to be going forward? And so if we're looking back on that here, this is a, a program that has probably the best facility, the Stan Sheriff Center or Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center, as it's now known, in the Big West Conference by a long shot. And so with some of that and some of the resources surrounding this program, they probably should be in a position to recruit effectively enough to be one of the big dogs of the Big West Conference. I think that's all fair to suggest. I don't necessarily agree with the fact that in a disjointed season where, you know, it is an absolute guessing game and luck of the draw as to whether or not you're even going to be able to play games, all of that uncertainty surrounding this season. I don't agree with the suggestion that it has to end this year, that they have to somehow win a Big West Conference tournament game or get to the championship game to, to kind of prove once again the medal of this coaching staff. All right, we move over to the Rainbow Wahine basketball team. And, hey, look, they opened up the tourney with a victory today. Of course, we're recording this Wednesday evening. Uh, earlier today in Vegas, they defeated Bakersfield. In fact, they kind of put a whooping on Bakersfield, as it turned out, winning by double figures, considering what this team has endured this season. Players opting out, uh, long-term injuries, including to their starting incumbent point guard in Nene Calhoun. Uh, does Laura Beeman, the head coach, deserve credit for UH getting to this point? winning six of the last eight games and advancing to the semifinals of the Big West Conference Tournament? Yeah, I think absolutely. Look, this, this team started out the season losing to HPU, who's a really good team. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're, they're one of the arguably five best teams in Division II. Um, and, you know, kind of struggling against UH Hilo in another warm-up game, if you will, before they got into Big West Conference play. Uh, and I think there were some serious concerns at that time as to how competitive they were going to be once the, the competition moved up, you know, to the division one level. Um, but they've gotten better. They've gotten better as the season has gone on. They have peaked at the right time. You know, I think a lot of those questions that we just talked about with the men's program uh, were similar questions asked of the women's program, right? Because they, they, they went to the postseason, they went to the NCAA postseason, you know, that same year in 2016 and they, they had some NIT appearances mixed in as well. Uh, right around that time period, but they haven't quite broken through to that level of success in the last handful of years, even though they've had more success in the Big West Conference tourney, obviously making a championship game, making the semis for the now the third straight year, I believe it is, uh, under Laura Beeman. And I think that's something that you have been able to safely assume with Laura Beeman squads. They get better. They get better as the season goes on, and they sort of peak right about, you know, the, the last two weeks of the regular season and, and getting into the conference tournament. Now, that doesn't necessarily led to a conference championship once again, like it did in 2016, or at least a tournament championship. Uh, but they, they're always tough. They're always a tough out at the end of the season. They get UC Davis again tomorrow. And they're the only team, really, right, to, to give the Aggies uh, a, a run here, having beaten them, the only team to have beat them the last week of the regular season, last week on Oahu. So, yeah, that's, that's the one thing with Laura Beeman squads. They're going to be tough, and they're getting better. And you, you can imagine, right, when they're relying on a freshman point guard and Kelsey Imai, who's playing really well at this point yeah. out of Waikia. And, 
you know, Deja Phillips had herself a night, uh, you know, earlier today. So it's a group that that's come together, I think, really, really nicely from, especially considering what we saw them early in, you know, what was that, December. And getting some recognition, Deja Phillips, the sixth player of the year in the conference. And Laura Beeman has racked up that specific award over the course of her nine years with the program. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's you give them credit for what has worked. And I think the coaches also have to wear some of the burden and responsibility for things that didn't work. Uh, the fact that you had players that decided to transfer or opt out. And this goes for Ranganat and that coaching regime as well. You know, I, I think we, we look at, at the men's team, we say, hey, look, Samuta opted out and Drew Bugs transferred. And that's unfortunate for Iran and unfortunate for this program as a whole. But at the same time, I, I think the coaches have to bear some of that responsibility, at least. And the same goes for Laura Beeman, the fact that Mira Joseph transfers to Long Beach State, the fact that you have uh, Tiani McDaniel who decides to opt out. Like, you know, some of that has to be associated with the coaches and they have to kind of be held accountable for at least a portion of that. That said, though, despite some of the unexpected adversity and curveballs that were thrown at them, Laura Beeman has still been able to put this team on a path where they have been calibrated to play their best basketball at the most important time. Who knows what's going to happen against UC Davis? Uh, but that said, I think the fact that they're in this position absolutely is a testimony and a credit to what she's been able to establish and how she has been able to traditionally, as you put it, consistently build a team that gets demonstratively and discernibly better. Uh, and credit to these young players as well for stepping up. It's, it's almost like they're the combination of, of confident and also maybe like a little bit naive, right? That, that freshman naivete that's allowed them to just play with this, this unburdened type of style that has uh, put them in position to be able to win some games. All right, we switch gears to the diamond. The UH baseball team unleashed on HPU this past week. Four-game series. Uh, they sweep the Sharks uh, and outscore the Sharks 46-6 to over the course of those four games. Uh, what's your opinion on what you've seen this young season from the Rainbow Warriors, and are you ready to ride for this team? They went 1-2 and two at Arizona State, nationally ranked opponent, on the road to start this season they come home they sweep hpu which they're, they're supposed to do but they did so in still demonstrative fashion uh what have you seen out of this bows club yeah i think there's a lot to be excited about right i mean i think they've got a lot of experience um what we've seen from that pitching staff has been more than adequate so far i think and obviously you're going to read a little bit more into the arizona state series than you are the hpu series and, and you know they got another one against uh hilo coming up this week and then they get right into big west play against long beach which should tell us a lot i think about this group and if they're going to truly contend in the big west this year but you know it's a nice mixture a nice mixture of guys that we've gotten used to right whether it's uh dallas duarte behind the plate you know beza at first and and fogel you know in center field just slugging the way that he is it's a fun team to watch they hit the ball well they put the ball in play. They've got a lot of local kids, right, which at the end of the day is going to get a lot of buy-in from the local fans. I don't think there's, you know, anything wrong with that. And, and they've got a rotation, right? And it seems to be a rotation at designated hitter as well, uh, where <laughs> um, Mike Trapasso is playing a, a slugger from like a different island in the uh, Hawaiian <laughs> island chain at DH every, uh, you know, every <laughs> game, uh, you know, as they go and, and you know, the, like, Sophia Maui from, from, from Hilo, Waikia High School, is, 
you know, maybe looking the most impressive at that position. You've got guys from, from every county playing in there. It's a fun team. And, and I don't know how, I don't know if we really know how good they can be just yet. It's still early. And, and obviously, you know, just the three games against Arizona state of which they could have won all three. They could have lost all three too, but they were right in it against the nationally ranked team. So yeah, I think this is an easy team to get excited about uh, and an easy team to root for. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing them, you know, again this week, obviously, but once they get in the big West play scene, you know, okay, how, how do these guys kind of stack up against what is, you know, we, we talked about the basketball conference being maybe not the best in the country, but uh, we always know big West baseball, right? That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. They've scored a bunch of runs this year. And I don't care who that's coming up against. If you score double digits in runs throughout a four game series in each game, that means you're doing something right. I mean, Mike Trapasso has pointed out, hey, look, we've gone up against teams like Chicago State who would never never be considered a powerhouse and and probably had pitching that was subpar compared to what HPU threw out there, even though, you know, those pitchers obviously looked like they, they still needed some work and seemed overmatched in, in some respects. Uh, but they were throwing as hard or harder than what you see velocity-wise from some of these pitchers from other programs that Hawaii has played, even Division One opponents. And so for Hawaii to still post that kind of offensive run production, you look back on some of those series and that wasn't always the case. And so I think that means something, right? I, I think we can at least extract that this is a team that has the potential to be pretty good offensively. They're still going to have to figure out their pitching rotation. But I think what we saw also this past weekend was there are a lot of arms and a lot of options to toy with. And you got to remember that they're still without Logan Paulson, uh, who might make a return this week against the Vulcans, but he's a guy who's probably lined up to be their either number three or number four starter in what will be four game series throughout. Uh, and so we'll learn a little bit more about this team because I think the Vulcans have proven, especially in recent years uh, under Callan Miyataki, that they can be competitive and they really kind of get into dog fights, especially against Manoa. I think they're very motivated to play. There's a big stage for them, four games on TV. Uh, including those Sunday matinee games. How fun is that, by the way, to have that sort of back as a, a regular consistent entity on Spectrum Sports? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we'll learn a little bit more about this Rainbow team. But I, I, I liken this team to the Rainbow Wahine basketball team where there's just something about them. They're, they're very likable. They're just something that, like in the style in which they play or the, or, or the way their individual players seem to approach the game it's like just really kind of baseball at its pure enthusiasm level um this is an easy team very early on in the season to root for this is a team that may have that kind of effect and maybe capture the hearts of some people around the state of hawaii so the UH football program, Graham promotes Graham. That's right. Todd Graham announced that his son, Bo, is going to be the new offensive coordinator and QB coach for the Warriors after G.J. Kinney departed for a similar position at UCF. Todd has also said that he will take on a larger role within the offensive scheming and kind of work more hands-on with his son in the development of this offense. Uh, what do you think about this move? Yeah, it's an eyebrow raiser, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a family member. And I think, you know, Coach Graham is very well aware of sort of the double-edged sword that that comes with, right? Obviously, it's on a familiarity. There is a case to be made, right? It, it is continuity. He was on staff last year. And, and so working with Chevin Cordero, the quarterback in that offense, it makes sense to promote from within. And they, they lost a, a fair amount on offense, right? Brendan Marion, the receivers coach, is now at Pitt. G.J. Kinney, obviously getting plucked away to go to UCF. Uh, and their new head coach, Gus Malzahn, on that staff, former Offensive coordinator yeah. to Todd Graham, by the way, Gus Malzahn. And so it makes sense to promote from within, right? And there weren't a ton of options left from within after G.J. Mm -hmm. Kinney leaves. 
And so Bull Graham is a guy who obviously Todd Graham is comfortable with. But then again, right, you inherently are going to get a few more, maybe a little more criticism just because it is, right, one of your family members. And, and the other eyebrow raiser there, I think, is that Coach Todd Graham is going to take on an added role offensively, right? I mean, he's a defensive guy. He basically called the defense last year. He has been very successful running defenses, whether as a coordinator or as a head coach. And I thought that side of the football was the more consistent side of the football at least in terms of having an idea of what they were doing last season. And so it's kind of interesting, right, that he's going to take on more of a role offensively. Does that distract from his responsibilities defensively? Is he giving more of that responsibility to somebody else? Is he delegating a little bit more on that side of the football? Um, you don't see that a lot in college, right? You don't necessarily see a, a head coach really getting involved hands-on on both sides of the football and I'm curious to see how it works. Bull Graham doesn't necessarily have that play calling experience, at least as an offensive coordinator and maybe the resume that some of these other guys have. But again, you know, he basically hired Gus Malzahn from high school when he hired him over to Tulsa. And so he, he's a guy who's taken risks with assistant coaches or at least gone a little bit outside the box, maybe unconventional, maybe not risk, but he's been unconventional in doing this. So I, I'm very curious to see how it works out because again, right. If it's your son that you're going to have to answer questions for, it's always, there's always a little bit something extra there, right. As opposed to just a, a normal coaching hire. Yeah. There were some rumors and reports about maybe like Timmy Chang being a guy that would mm -hmm. be a candidate for that coming over from Nevada. But uh, Hey, look, it's, it's Todd Graham's prerogative to hire who he wants to hire for the important positions on his coaching staff. Right. I don't begrudge him in any way for making that decision. But as you pointed out, I do think that there is, a bit of a risk factor to this public perception wise, right? If this doesn't work out, then I think it is fodder for some people, some of the naysayers, some of the critics, some of the doubters who are going to say, see, if you go and you just hire your family members, it sets you up for, you know, less than stellar results. And uh, so I do think that it's a, a bit of a roll of the dice in that respect. Uh, but hey, look, if Todd Graham feels like Bo's ready for this, and if he is, you know, himself motivated enough to maybe try to get his hands a little more dirty on the offensive side to assist Bo in taking that step, then, hey, look, that, that's on him. He's the head coach. He can run his program the way he sees fit. <whistles> Staying on the gridiron, Dak getting dollars. The Cowboys finally signed Dak Prescott, the quarterback, to a long-term deal. Four years, $160 million with a $126 million guarantee to it. Prescott's coming off a pretty horrific lower leg injury. By all accounts, though, he's coming along in his rehab very well. Uh, obviously, this was a long, drawn-out process. And finally, the Cowboys and Jerry Jones give in. They give Dak the dollars. Did the Cowboys make the right move here, Jordan? Yeah, they had to sign him, right? I, I think for the, for the Cowboys, the guy who almost proved his worth or his worth was proven more so after he got hurt, right? We, they weren't going to win the Super Bowl with him in that roster last year, but they were a lot more competitive when he was in the lineup. You go to Andy Dalton, a proven winner in the NFL, a guy who's taken, you know, the, the Bengals to the playoffs multiple times, and it wasn't nearly the same, not even close to when Dak was in there. And so he's, he's been a guy that's given a lot to that franchise, right? Playing on a fourth round rookie deal. I mean, he was making less than a million dollars a couple of those seasons early on. And so he earned it. That's for sure. The question, the bigger question that you ask, right, is whether the Cowboys made the right move. They could have franchised him. They could have let him walk uh, in free agency and 
figured out something else, whether it was through the draft or making maneuvers. But if you've got a guy that you feel is a franchise quarterback and a guy that they can sort of lock in early on here on a reduced cap before the cap balloons again, I think, because the new TV deal is looming. And even though there is a reduction in the salary cap this year, uh, I don't think that's going to last. And thus, you know, the contracts are going to go up and up and up, right? And so you get him on a discount in the future, maybe not now, but three, four years down the road, his deal might look like a pretty favorable one. They got to build around them, right? They got to retool that offensive line. They've tied up money at a running back position that I think a lot of smart teams don't do, right? When they gave Zeke all that money. Um, But it makes sense to lock up your guy. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not going anywhere in this league. Uh, And they found one. They they hit the lottery in Dak Prescott, in my opinion, drafted him in the fourth round. And so you got to lock him up and then you build everything around him. It's got to start there. And, and we've seen teams to varying success with these franchise quarterbacks on huge deals. It didn't work out with Jared Goff in L.A. It's been mixed results in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Who knows what happens there? Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what the Cowboys do now that they've got the building block they've got to build around. Yeah, I think you have to have that quarterback, even if he's not necessarily – I don't know if anybody would – suggest that Dak Prescott's on the level of the quote-unquote elite quarterback, right, which is a term that is so overused. But, right, I mean, I think we know that there is a class of quarterback in the league that's just a little separated from the rest of the pack, right? The Mahomes, dare we say the Bradys of the world. I still think Russell Wilson is absolutely up there, right? Deshaun Watson, for sure. Dak Prescott, is he part of that group? Probably not. But is he at the top tier of the next group down? Probably. In lieu of being left out in the cold without any kind of capable quarterback to run this offense with all of the pieces that you've already paid big money to. I think you have to lock up a guy like Prescott. And I think we've also seen here this offseason that even if you do sign somebody to a long-term big money deal, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't find a way to trade them away if it doesn't work out, right? I don't think it, it means that you're stuck with that quarterback forever. You can find the means to work something out transaction-wise and go another route down the road. Uh, I just think, yeah, in this, in this instance, they're not going to do better than Dak Prescott. All right, time now for the Domino's Hawaii main topping, and we're going to talk with our guy Colton Cowell of the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. They're number one ranked in the country. They're going to play UCSB here this week. We talked to Colton late last week. It was actually the day after his birthday. It was a lot of fun, so let's go ahead and play that interview right now. Colton, what's up? Long time no talk. Uh, back at it for the volleyball season. First off, thanks for uh, spending a little time with us, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We are, uh, we are stoked to be back on the court competing again. Yeah, what does that sort of feel like after all that time off, after all of the hopes and dreams were abruptly halted last year because of this COVID fiasco, to kind of finally be back out there with so many familiar faces as well when you guys thought last year might end up being your final year at UH, uh, to have been able to reignite that? What was that like? It's surreal. Uh, just stepping on the court and competing again. You know, we spent months and months and months in the, uh, in the practice gym just going at it. And, you know, for a period of time, we weren't even certain if, uh, if we were going to have a season. Um, and so I think the team really did a good job of kind of just embracing that no matter, you know, what was to be determined in terms of, of like what our season would look like if there was going to be one, that we were just going to grind every day, put in work, and, and get after it. Because what happened last year happened, where, again, it was just this abrupt halting, right? Coming off of one of the most memorable matches ever played at the Stan Sheriff Center, that five-set win against BYU 
uh, to have things cut off immediately after that. Now, when you take the floor, is there a different perspective that you bring with you? We just want to kind of relive that intensity. We recognized, I think, that when we went in that five setter, you know, that the stakes were high, the energy was great, and we were really just like feeding off of each other to perform well. And I think now, um, knowing that there's kind of a, there's always going to be the chance that we may this every time we step on the floor, it could be the last for this season. Should things go downhill, that we kind of embrace the fact that it's got to be a hundred percent from the get go every night we step on the court. Yeah, Colton, you know, with, with the fact that, you know, you and, you know, a few other guys on this team, some, you know, some of the big names, obviously, in, in Rado and Pat Gassman, you know, after last season, that would have been your eligibility. And then the way the season went and you guys got granted basically a, another crack at things. And it was a big decision for you guys to make. Uh, you know, what was what kind of went into that decision? And, and was that a collective decision amongst you guys to, to all come back? Or was that kind of more individual? You guys all just happened to, to make the same choice. I think. I think collectively we all wanted to return, but at the same time, it was definitely based upon, you know, individually, like there were circumstances that each of us had to, had to kind of come to terms with and essentially overcome because we were all finishing our undergraduate degrees at the time. So we needed to make sure that there were graduate programs that not just we could apply and go into, but, but we could apply for and enroll in and they would translate at some point throughout our lives where we'd be, we'd actually have an interest in them versus just simply finding something to, you know, remain eligible for. Yeah. I yeah. think that for, for, for those at home, right. It's a, it's a little more complex than just like checking a box. Like, Hey, I'm coming back. Uh, there, there's mm -hmm. a bit of a process that goes through that. You mentioned graduate programs for you guys academically. I think for, for, for that group that we talked about, you guys are sort of graduate level when it comes to collegiate volleyball. Uh, you know, what, 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 what is this experience like? I mean, you're playing with dudes who are fresh out of high school. You've been in the program, you know, for a few years now. Uh, what, what, what do you feel like your, your level of, of experiences, the comfort level that you've got with those guys out there now that, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, the advanced degree, if you will, on the volleyball court? I think it's, it's really nice to have the, the perspective of just kind of having been in the program, like you said, for a few, if not several. Uh, years, I think. I think stepping onto the floor with guys that are fresh out of high school, uh, kind of reignited that that inspiration of guys that are, you know, seeing the speed of the game change for the first time and seeing the excitement and that work ethic. Kind of just like that level of inspiration that I see in our younger guys. It it not it affects the older guys. I think too. I think it kind of ignites a little bit of a fire beneath us as well to really perform and really set a good example. Um, and then, as you mentioned, obviously, too, in, in terms of what we what we focused on in in terms of our decision to return, it's always going to be um, the people too. the people that support us mean everything to us. So I think that was ultimately the main decision was just like, we're not going to get an experience like this ever again. Yeah, because I mean, professional volleyball or whatever you aspired to do in the game of volleyball, that, that was already there for you if you wanted mm -hmm. to take that step last year. So uh, that's an interesting decision. And uh, to have that kind of buy-in, uh, I'd imagine uh, that was something that really sort of reinforced the camaraderie of this team as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think each of us, um, each of the seniors really had, we, we definitely had opportunities. Um, but I know for a fact that each of each of us were very interested in the idea of bringing home a national championship to Hawaii um, and just getting to represent um, the culture and the community that has really just given us so much and provided so much in terms of our growth and development through this program that I think it's not 
it's it, there's a sense of obligation, but it's it doesn't doesn't have any negative connotation. We just simply want to give back to the people that have supported us and and give them give them what they deserve. Well, we mentioned that last match played at the Stan Sheriff Center. It was versus BYU in front of ten thousand people. Uh, and you guys have only played road matches so far. You're not going to play at home until the last week of March, uh, but it won't be in front of any fans. Uh, and so how has, you know, this road experience been so far? And certainly as you anticipate first serve in that spectacular arena, but without the fan base that you guys have kind of helped to grow and evolve and establish, how do you gear yourself up for that? It's definitely been different. Um, I think, there's a lot more, um, there's a, there's a much greater need for a sort of a nonverbal communication, just as much as there is verbal, uh, between teammates. We can, you know, when, when you're surrounded by 10,000 people, sometimes you almost can't hear yourself think. Um, and I think that this year we've been able to develop as a team simply based off of how great our communication is amongst one another. And as much as that is verbal, we have to make some of it nonverbal because the other team can hear everything we're saying from across the net, you know? And we're not wearing masks, so it's, it's, there's not any emotions being hidden as well. Does that contribute? Is there a direct correlation to the amount of trash talking through the net that occurs without yeah. fans in the seats? There's definitely a little bit, um, a little bit of trash talking reduction, I would think. I think that there's, there's some guys that don't run their mouths as much when they know that <laughs> the live stream picks up on, on everything. Yeah, that's being said. <laughs> Are you a trash talker? No. I get I get chirpy, but I usually have to get triggered by something. I don't I don't typically instigate it. It's more if someone's going after one of my teammates, I kind of I kind of start to develop that edge a little bit. Is is there a, a story or an instance that you can bring up as as evidence to a, a certain match where you just kind of got revved up? Yeah, it was actually um, Stanford. We played Stanford in two thousand and nineteen, and I remember. Uh, I won't disclose the name of the opponent, but um, he, was, he was chirping a little bit against us. And so there was one ball late in the game that Joe set me. And as I contacted, I just yelled over you um, and put it down into the middle of the court. Um, and I was just, I was a little frustrated at that point. And that one felt good. And then, you know, he and I both kind of joked about it after the match. And it's actually kind of lived on now in our practice gym, you know, and guys are yelling at each other and it's, it's kind of developed into a pretty funny, uh, Pretty funny little joke. A little bit of jargon there. Yeah. That, that's great. And so how does that factor in? Because the way the schedule sets up this year, right, you're basically only playing conference opponents, even though a number of the matches don't count in the Big West standings. But, you yeah. know, it's a little – I mean, you're playing some of these guys four times here this year, and then who knows once you get to the Big West tourney. Um, you know, so does that factor in, just the familiarity with these guys that, that, that you're going to see so often this season? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think that – the winner of the Big West tournament, I mean, a lot a lot of teams have very similar athletes. I think it's just going to be um, the, the team that wins our this conference and our conference tournament is going to be the team that can just best prepare to, to face familiar adversity. You know, um, we're going to play them, like you mentioned, four times and potentially a fifth time in a tournament, depending on the team. And so we're going to have a very good idea about what is going to be on the other side of the net and what's going to be coming at us. And I think then we have to know that not only are we preparing, but they're preparing as well. So which team can, can kind of evolve more and, and add new things in to be successful. And just at the end of the day, it's going to be effort and energy. How, how, how much can you motivate yourself to play the same team four and five times? 
Yeah, and, and so for this, the, <clears throat> excuse me, for your group in particular with all that experience uh, coming back, uh, how valuable do you think that is in terms of keeping that motivation? Because we've already talked about all the things that are going to be difficult, right? Playing teams mm -hmm. over and over, not playing in front of fans and all of that kind of stuff. So how much does that experience that you and some of the leaders bring that you think, you know, will kind of keep the fuel and the engine revving as you see some of these teams over and over? I think the experience is really, really important uh, because when it comes down to it, um, there could be a team that comes out on night one, full guns blazing, plays amazing, energy's great. And then night two, you know, they, they just don't show the same kind of thing. And I feel that um, from an experience perspective for especially some of the older guys on the team, we want to beat teams the same way every night. We want to beat teams thoroughly. We want to be effective. We want to be efficient. We want to keep kind of, I wouldn't even say a level head. We'll definitely ramp up the energy. But we understand that the effort and energy needs to be more consistent than, you know, here and there, uh, I guess, more volatile. We don't, we don't need it to be volatile. We just want to play steady. We want to be efficient. We want to do our jobs, and we want to prepare for the next night. Well, nobody has ever questioned your work ethic. It is second to none for sure, uh, and that is proven in just how you've developed as a volleyball player. Um, you were also a little banged up frankly, last season, especially towards the end prior to the shutdown. Uh, how much was this COVID experience in some ways maybe a blessing in disguise, or at least you were able to extract a silver lining because you were able to sort of recoup and, and rejuvenate your body? Uh, because by all accounts, uh, you're about as, as raring to go physically as you've been since your time in Manoa. Yeah, no, I actually just had a conversation with my mom and it's been a recurring conversation with, with many people. Just the fact that, you know, I've definitely was able to find a silver lining in, in uh, the fact that a pandemic was, was spreading globally. Um, because individually, last season, I had so many um, injuries, kind of just inflammation, tendonitis, um, kind of a minor tear up in the, the rotator cuff area in the shoulder that I that I really just needed to take time and shut myself down versus instead of trying to just rehab and continue to kind of work those, those muscles and those joints, I actually just needed really to, to shut myself down and stop it completely. And so I have to give a huge, huge shout out to obviously Renee Shigemura, our mm -hmm. trainer, Josh Elms, our strength and conditioning coach, and then physiotherapy HI, they're up on 12th Avenue of Wiley. They've been great. They, they really took me into account and kind of specialized they get, there was nothing generic about what they were having me do. And it was really, really extensive and, and it was thorough. They, they did a great job kind of recouping me and, and getting me back up for the season. And, and I kind of lost that extra, that roughly like 13 pounds that I needed to, that I had put on last year that was just kind of unnecessary bulk. And, and I, feel, I feel great. And I'm just really excited to hopefully continue consistently performing. Yeah, I hate when I put on that unnecessary bulk uh, that's in the form of muscles. Yeah, that's definitely an issue that I have. Um, yeah, the pandemic has affected us very differently. Let's just put it that way. Um, you also came back uh, to this season with a, a little bit of a different look, and that's your jersey number. Uh, you went with mm -hmm. number 24, and you have said that uh, that is because you actually want to apply, 24 being one of the Kobe Bryant numbers, that Mamba mentality. Can you talk a little bit about uh, where that came from? What's that rooted in? Certainly. So last year, I think, um, I think with the injuries that I was going through, uh, I was just, I, I kept getting frustrated and I kept trying to find a solution in working harder and not working smarter. 
Um, and when I just, you know, Kobe was a, a childhood, you know, inspiration growing up. He was the first competitive athlete that I really watched and was like, wow, this guy's really different. You know, he, he's just tenacious and his, his, his work ethic was, it's just, it, it was second to none. Like there was literally nobody on the planet that was willing to outwork him or even attempt to outwork him. Um, and I kind of just applied my own personal narrative to that, which was the fact that when I first got on the court here at UH, everyone was really happy for me. Um, but nobody had really seen, you know, all the work that was getting put in behind closed doors or in the early hours of the morning and all of this. Um, and I decided that I kind of wanted to go back to my roots there. And so I made the number change because I felt that it would channel a little bit of that mama mentality where I wanted to go back to how I first got myself onto the court, which was simply through hard work and not just training um, brutally and, and crushing myself. It was also training smarter and really just trying to edge out whatever my competition was. Yeah. No, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think, you know, for, for guys of your generation, right. I, I kind of joke to, uh, to, to my family, uh, cause we, we grew up, uh, or we, we watched you grow up and play volleyball here on Maui and, my brother played against you in, in high school. He's a year older. So I kind of joked that Colton was just reminding every, all the young guys on the team about just how old he was and, and the, the, the respect yeah. that he had, you know, with the 24 yeah. on the jersey. Yeah, I am, I am. I turned 24 yesterday. So that's also part of it, too. They, they sometimes don't give me the credit of, you know, idolizing my favorite athlete. They're just like, yeah, you're just old at this point. <laughs> No, I think I think it's yeah. a it's a great double meaning when you when you break it down that way. Happy birthday, by the way, Colton. Yeah, happy Thank birthday. You. Thank is, you. Thank you. That is awesome stuff. Um, and so you know we we talk about Maui, right? And and have you gotten a chance to to kind of get back here? You know, throughout. I know you guys had a lot of downtime in the summer, and and I know you, you you're so uh, comfortable on the beach and getting your game ready. But but how much was that of a process as you sort of got ready for this this upcoming year? So I did get some time home, which was really nice. And obviously, when you when you go home and it's, and it's a, in a place like Maui, you're surrounded by kind of just a more mellow vibe. You know, there's, there's not so much going on. You can really kind of focus on what you need to. And, and I was surrounded by people that, that love and care about me, you know, and that, that is exactly what I needed. You know, when I'm over here, I isolate myself and I'm just focused on the process and focused on the grind. Um, and then when I was able to go home and just spend time with family um, and just spend time like on the beaches and the place that I grew up, it was really kind of it was nostalgic for me and it really brought more of a sense of purpose you know knowing that like when I was home this is where it all started this is where I made that decision that I wanted to begin my journey here at at Manoa and and it kind of just rekindled that flame for me to come back and that was another factor that contributed into coming back here was just once I spent more time back home I just knew for a fact that like I wasn't ready to say uh ahoy ho that was it you know, that's interesting uh, because when you sort of get into the, the ebbs and flows of, you know, whether it be you want to refer to it as, as statewide or nationwide celebrity, right? As you build your name, as you build your career, it's kind of easy to get lost in that. And so it sounds mm -hmm. as though Maui has very much, very tangibly represented that grounding source for you uh, and has maybe uh, allowed you to maintain a sense of place and self. Always, because when I go home, I mean, everybody's all obviously really friendly and they always congratulate me on, on, six, on the success that I've had here. Um, but at the end of the day, they, they treat me the same as when I was just a little kid. They're still like uncles and aunties are still knocking me upside the head all the time. Just like, 
giving me like lickings a little bit and stuff. <laughs> and my mom's, my mom's always reminding me to just like maintain my level of humility and integrity. Cause that's, that's the main thing for me is just recognizing that humble beginnings are, are where this, this journey started. Um, and then when I'm, when I am able to go home, obviously it's just, there's such a deep sense of, of appreciation and relaxation. And I just find myself always constantly wanting to say thank you to people that, that were a part of my journey and, and contributed to me in so many ways. Uh, what kind of stuff did you get for your birthday? What'd you do for your birthday? So my birthday, I had a, uh, I had a very, very difficult midterm, um, in international <laughs> trade. <laughs> great, great timing. So I, I was studying all day for that. Um, I barely even got to like talk to my family until I had finished that exam. Um, and I was, those phone calls were kind of made on my way to practice, went straight to practice. And then I had coaching in the evening. Um, so it was pretty busy. Um, but then fortunately, uh, my girlfriend made an amazing dinner. Um, and she ended up buying me a, uh, uh, gift certificate to get a, uh, like an infrared sauna and a massage. So I'm ex- I, I was pretty I was pretty happy with that. It was nice and mellow, and I think this weekend, um, obviously, we'll spend some time down at the beach as a group and as a team, and just kind of maybe play some beach volleyball and just kind of enjoy it and spend time together, socially distancing and safe, of course, but still together is always important. Being together, yeah. No, that 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 is awesome. Uh, and, and just just lastly, for me, Colton, before we let you out of here, I know you got to get to practice, and we don't want we don't want Coach Wade getting mad at us for making it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but just, uh, you know, I, I think for, for a lot of the folks, especially here on Maui, right where I'm at, uh, just excited to see you back, uh, for one more year to get after it. Then, uh, you know, we wish you all the best, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, I hope that this year is, is going to be special. I have a great feeling about what is to come this year. And, and trust me, the first thing, the first thing, if, if we are to win it all, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a celebration in Maui for sure. And I'm going to be coming home and. I want to be coming home and enjoying myself for sure. Yeah. How much do you pay attention to the rest of the volleyball landscape? I mean, BYU goes down to Grand Canyon. They were the preseason number one. The second set score in that match was 45-43. Yeah. Like, how cognizant are yeah. you guys of that stuff? We, we, are, we are always aware of, of what's going on in the league, and not just our league, but the NCAA when it comes to athletics. Um, because I think a lot of the guys on the team just love volleyball. And for myself individually, I, I really love watching film. You know, I like breaking down other players' tendencies. I, I want to know how to defend them. I want to know how to beat them always. So the more film I can watch, the better. But it's also just a sense of, like, it makes me really happy to just see so many different teams back out there playing and giving it their all. And no matter, you know, what the unprecedented circumstances with COVID, COVID created, um, for those universities, you know, there's a lot of teams playing high-level volleyball right now. And it's great to see you know, some upsets, some dominating performances. And like you said, like a historical, what was it? 45, 43 set. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was awesome. That was crazy. We, we watched that one after our match at San Diego and we were just like, well, <laughs> I wonder what I like. I was like, when is this going to end at that point? Yeah. 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 That's, that's insane. Uh, my last question, uh, just kind of wanted to talk a little about uh, a bit about what, uh, you know, Jordan had mentioned Charlie Wade's name. Um, and that was a guy who it appeared had a significant amount of faith in you really from the get-go and maybe had a a vision for, as you were starting to develop, had a grander vision for what you could develop into. He is, though, of course, a very strong personality. Uh, I was just wondering kind of how you vibed 
over time with Charlie, how that relationship continues to grow and evolve and, um, and sort of how this coaching staff maybe has assisted in your development into what you've become. Yeah, I think our coaching staff is, is unbelievable. I think we have three individuals that, like you said, are all very strong-minded and very, very good at what they do. Um, and in my, all of my time at UH, I rarely ever see their perspectives, um, there any conflict in, in what their beliefs are. They're always trying to be, come together and produce something that's going to be best for the team. And they're always team focused. And like you mentioned, Charlie has, 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 has placed a lot of faith and responsibility in my hands this year. And, and that the main thing I think that he brings um, from a coaching perspective is, is not just developing, you know, the player, but it's also developing the man that enters and leaves his mm -hmm. program. Right. And so when he puts responsibility, he's, he's willing to just back it fully. He's, he's providing it to you and it's, it's unconditional. He really want, expects a lot of you. And to meet those demands, you know, you feel a sense of, of purpose and pride. Um, and I also think, you know, a guy like Milan, who's just the passion and the hugger before the games and stuff, he kind of lights a fire under, under the players and really just motivates them to just give their maximum. And everything that you're doing, it's clear, it's defined, and it's unrelenting. And then Josh, obviously, you know, being a, a former player and just someone that we all looked up to when we were playing club volleyball, right? He's He's another guy that was just an incredible process, an incredible journey throughout his time at UH. And so we have a lot of respect for what he does. And I'm telling you, that guy is meticulous with what he does. When he commits to something, oh, he commits to that process fully. So he, he's really, really contributed to, to us. And I think just, yeah, our coaching staff in general has just been fantastic. And especially this year, I think, I think this team is more prepared now than ever to really to win, to win matches and to represent the state of Hawaii proudly. Well, it's been awesome uh, witnessing this journey of yours and this team's. And I, I know I speak for Jordan when I say, and a lot of the fans, when I say that we're very happy and excited uh, at the fact that it's not over yet for this senior group. Uh, so best of luck. Happy birthday. And thanks for spending some time with us, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, let's get to our post game. Best and Worst, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. What is your best, Jordan Helley? Yeah, my best. Uh, we got a return of high school sports, a, a sort of. Right. Uh, late last week, we, we got noticed that, uh, you know, the Department of Education here in Hawaii, at least for the public schools, right, sort of giving the green light on workouts that teams can start doing workouts or at least sports can start doing workouts with schools. It's sort of a first step in, a, in a many, you know, as, as they return to play, there's the, the, you got to get conditioned and they'll start allowing practices and at least here on, you know, on Maui and in the MIL, there aren't going to be actual games. Some sports actually aren't even going to take place. Some of the spring sports, that is uh, girls water polo, judo being another one of them. But the rest of the spring sports will at least be able to, to do something, right? They'll, they'll at least be able to practice. They'll at least be able to work out maybe some informal scrimmages and things of that nature. No official games or championships or anything like that. But it is it is at least a start, you know, and I think some of the other islands may approach it a little bit differently, but at least it was the, the initial go ahead, right? I know there is a lot of frustration from folks out there 
you know, a lot of the youth sports, at least here on Maui, have been going for, for months now. And, and the high school age kids have sort of been lost in the shuffle, I think, you know, and, and a lot of other states have, have found a way to make it work and, you know, what you're trying to get back to that. So uh, I know, I know a lot of folks maybe not quite satisfied in, in where they have given the go ahead for or what, what they are allowing at this point, but it is a, it, li- it is a little start, right? It is a little step forward, uh, maybe a little light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And at the essence of it, right? Sports is an extracurricular activity, just something to provide these students and student athletes with an outlet, right? And so I think that's the important thing, even if it doesn't necessarily result in formal games, the fact that they can get out and they can be active and they can release some of that tension and anxiety that has been built up certainly over the last year. uh, I think just that unto itself is healthy, both physically and mentally for these kids. Uh, And hopefully it results in a chance for them to actually be able to compete in a more organized fashion. So I agree with you. That's a good best. My best, uh, I'm going big picture college basketball. I'm going with Gonzaga. They win the WCC tournament. They are the 20th undefeated team heading into the NCAA tournament. Seven of those previous undefeated teams went on to win the championship. It is a hard thing to do to complete the unbeaten run, but they have won 23 straight games by double digits. And so my best is Gonzaga. They represent the WCC, which is considered a mid-major conference. There is no denying that Gonzaga has risen above the mid-major label. They are a big-time name-brand college basketball program. But that said, they're still carrying the banner, in my opinion, for the mid-major guys, right? The, the, the little guys, if you will, at least by comparison to the Blue Bloods and what we see across the Power Five conferences nationwide. Uh, and so my best is Gonzaga. Go get him. Mark Few, what a great coach. What an incredible program he's built. Uh, I would love to see them go deep into that tournament. Yeah, that, that's why college basketball is great, right? College football is superior, but this could never happen in college football. Like, Gonzaga could never exist in college football. It's everything great that is about college athletics. They, were, they gave up 53, I think, in the first half yesterday and still won by double digits against yeah, BYU. Against BYU. Yeah. They, they are so fun to watch. They're, they are like what I would imagine a fun basketball team playing offensively should look like. They share the ball. They're athletic on the perimeter. They go to Timmy in the post, who's got some old school post moves to him down the block. Like they're so much fun to watch. Like how are they? How do you not like watching them play basketball? Or how can you root against that team? I am all in on the Zags. I hope they do it. Uh, I will be rooting for them to win six more, and and hopefully maybe you know make history uh, if they can keep that goose egg in the loss column. I'm I'm all about it. I'm all about the Zags. Mark Few is one of the nicest guys in the biz too. He's this is awesome. Yeah, and Jalen Suggs is an absolute stud. But I, I, I do like Timmy and Kisper. You're talking about two white guys that wear headbands, leading the best team undeniably in the country, at least in terms of their production and record going into the NCAA tournament. Uh, that unto itself is something that is pretty remarkable. All right, let's get to our worsts. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst. I'm wa- so spring training's going on. Spring training, uh, you know, it's kind of a watered-down sort of deal. You got some fans back. Baseball's bringing fans back uh, in a lot of these places. The Rangers are going to allow, what, 100%, I think I saw today. But anyway, oh, yeah. I digress. Texas, baby. Uh, I'm watching the Cubs-Dodgers game because we get the Dodgers games here in Hawaii, right? And Austin Romine, who's with the Cubs now, I don't know how many teams he's played with in the in Major League Baseball at this point, but he's one of the Cubs' backup catchers, launches a home run out to left center field. And the fans are socially distanced out on the, the, the grassy hill, right? As most spring training complexes, there's a sort of a grassy hill fence. So they're socially distanced. 
So if the home runs hit to you, nobody's competing with you for the ball. So there's this poor guy who's out there. He's got a glove even, and the ball's hit right to him. Stands up and whiffs. Just completely whiffs on a home run ball, and it bounces two blankets over, basically, two towels over, um, and just absolutely missed his opportunity. I mean, again, there's nobody around, right? And it maybe, maybe freaked the guy out a little bit, but uh, I felt for him. I felt bad for him. The announcers were like, well, it's spring training for the fans as well. Uh, and I got a little kick out of that. But uh, watching a guy who had an opportunity, right? I, I feel like it's, it's one of those things. Some guys have a knack of catching foul balls or, or home run balls, but uh, the guy just kind of panicked in the moment. And, and the, as a guy who's attended a few Major League Baseball games and taken my mid a few times, it's like, man, it's got to be like the worst. Right. You got to, it was like the second inning. You got to sit through seven more and you're just steaming and you're stewing. He's like, what an idiot. I look like an absolute idiot there. I couldn't catch the ball. It's like, man, I, I felt for him. I felt for the guy. That's funny. You know, my worst is also spring training related, at least the run up here. The, the Mets with no spring training games on the calendar set up a drill the other day on uh, what is a 27 out. A defensive exercise and so it requires the team to record 27 outs without making an error uh, you had coaches uh, Luis Rivera and Tony Tarasco taking turns hitting fungos around the field and so the Mets were able to get through this drill out by out without committing an error and so what they did on the last out the 27th out they said if we make this guys let's let's pretend like we win the World Series and so they recorded that out without an error and then the team promptly celebrated as if they had won the World Series. And it's a fungal drill. I guess it's the idea is we're going to try to speak this into existence. Uh, but as a diehard Mets fan, it just strikes me as because they did this, there's clearly no way they actually celebrate a World Series championship this year. Like, you can't be doing this kind of stuff in spring training with adult professional baseball players in a fungal drill, Jordan Helley. You can't be pretending you're winning the World Series in a fungal drill. It's like... Um... It's like celebrating when on uh, like a basketball, you know, shoot around and you're like, oh, we hit all the shots. It's like, yeah, nobody's playing defense. <laughs> it's like, no, nobody's out there resisting, yeah. you know, putting up, putting up any sort of, putting up any sort of resistance to your, yeah, that's, um, I'm sure all Mets fans had the same reaction you did. It's like, are we serious? Really? Yeah. It really? seems that's, it... that's what we're going to do. That's, that's what we're going to celebrate. We need to practice winning the world series on a fungo yeah. drill. Come on. It seems Come a little on. Bush league. It's like, you're right. Like it would be like, you know, your JV team is like, all right guys, if we hit this free throw, let's all pile on top of each other at mid court and pretend like we won the championship. It's like, why that doesn't seem to be very fitting for the circumstance. But uh, Hey, look, the Mets will met. And uh, as a fan, uh, that's what I've learned here over time. All right, that's our best and worst uh, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. That's it for us. Big thanks to Colton Kyle once again for jumping on with us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808 if you have any questions or comments. Uh, Jordan, it's been real. Stay dry, my friend, and we'll do it again next week. I'll see you, man.